0: To to make anything the priority other than Christ and what he is doing in you and through you will distract you from him, distract Mm. you from his purposes, distract you from his glory. Mm. Your agenda, in truth and in essence, doesn't matter.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. With us today, we have Wayne Wiseman. Wayne is a, uh, well, I can say a longtime friend. Now we uh, we were together uh, as full time staff members. He at Ravencrest, I at His Hill. He was the director there for a number of years. He was also on the executive council, and uh, we'll let him tell you what he's up to now in, in just a minute. But he's a good friend. He's someone that has always encouraged me to Christ. He's been very uh, central. And, and reminding me to be fixed on Christ. So I really look forward to, to hearing from him today. And then next week, we will be uh, sharing a, a devotion that will be led uh, by Wayne. So Wayne, welcome here. Thank you very much. It's good to have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've tried to get together before, and it doesn't always work out. Even though we're in the same place, it doesn't always work out for us to do this. So I appreciate the time that you're giving us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne, you know, how, how long were you at Ravencrest? 28 years, 28 yeah. years. And how many of those years were you the director? Nine, nine years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Wayne, for those that, you know, I know a number of our alumni know you, mm-hmm. uh, you've, you've, you've taught here as a guest lecturer for a number of years, probably I'm guessing 15,
0: probably at least 15. I'd say more.
1: Okay. Yeah. More than that. And yeah. now on occasion, we get to have you a couple of times a year here mm-hmm. and I know the students really appreciate that they're very encouraged having had you here and uh, I appreciate you coming and being faithful to, to come every year mm-hmm. um, for those that don't know you let's back up and let's just talk about you know your your childhood um, then tell us how you came to know Christ and uh, then we can get into how you ended up being involved in torchbearers and and then maybe we can move on to what you're doing now if that's okay
0: okay
1: so Tell us a little bit more. Tell us about your childhood.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I can't actually tell you a lot about my childhood because I don't remember much of it, Okay. truthfully. <clears throat> but um, the details of it are that I was born in New Jersey, two parents, three older sisters, Jewish family, and uh, the Jewish blood goes all the way back on both sides, as far as we can trace, but we haven't really traced very far. Most of my family history is, uh, we we don't know what it is. After my parents, my father's parents came over from Poland, my mother's parents came over from the Ukraine. We know a little bit more about my mother's family, so I can't tell you too much. But I was in New Jersey, and I grew up, regular uh, suburb lifestyle. But uh, my Jewishness was a big part of my identity, Uh, having gone to Hebrew school for six years, Mm. having gotten bar mitzvah at 13 years old. Mm. A lot of my friends were Jewish. Truthfully experiencing some um, mild level persecution because of my Jewishness. So it was kept uh, in front of me Mm. pretty consistently. And I just went through school, graduated high school, Woodbridge, New Jersey. And uh, then I went away to college. My time, what I do remember of my childhood was... uh, I was very insecure and I was, I felt very incapable of carrying on conversations. I felt I had no opinions I could really express to people. And, uh, but apparently people didn't see that because as the years went on and I became a believer and I grew in Christ and relationships developed and uh, communication grew, people uh, didn't believe that that was um, what I was like. I must have hidden it, covered it up. I don't really know. I wasn't aware of doing that, mm. uh, of covering it up. But I know what was going on inside of me. People apparently just didn't see that.
1: Okay. Yeah. And uh, so after after high school, you uh, you went to co- Where'd you go to college?
0: Butler University in Indianapolis, okay. Indiana.
1: All right. And did you finish there?
0: I did. I started and finished in four years. Oh, wow. <laughs> that?
1: A novelty. Yeah. So uh, what was what was your major?
0: Business, economics, and
1: finance. Okay. Okay. So um, what, what were the college years like for you?
0: Just worse and more intense emotionally, relationally uh, than my high school years, my Hmm. middle school years, my grade school years, it seemed like my life was just moving in a painfully down direction.
1: Mm. What, if anything, did you try to rectify this?
0: Oh Boy, that's a good question, Kelly. Rectify. I I didn't really have, I I can't be credited with actually thinking through Mm. what to do, how to do, I really felt very limited in my thought processes. Okay. And so I don't know that I did anything to rectify it. I floated through and I you know, I certainly lived life physically and things happened. I went through college and I had relationships with people, but I wouldn't say I had a, um, a deliberate cognitive thought process through my days, months, or even years. Do you
1: recall having any kind of thoughts as, you know, that this could be better, or this isn't a great life, or anything like that?
0: Oh, I knew it wasn't a great life. It was very painful. Okay. But I didn't know what else to do about it. And I didn't really know what options there were.
1: Okay. Yeah. So what about after college? what did you do?
0: I graduated college, traveled. Right after college, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, while I was traveling, I found myself in Los Angeles, uh, in San Francisco. Actually, interviewed for a, a banking job. Just by the way, as I was going, and I was uh, given a banking position in a company out of Los An- out of San Francisco, but my office was in Los Angeles. Mm. So after college, I moved to Los Angeles. Okay, and uh, yeah, so what did I do? I worked there for. It was management training company uh, position. How long was I there? I don't recall. In total, I was in Los Angeles just over three years, so maybe a year and a half okay. at the bank, halfway through my training program, and just stopped, left the training program. And I could give you reasons, but they weren't the real reasons. There was, I didn't, I can't take credit for really good thinking, okay, for good decision making. I just made. Choices and and made choices and just followed through with them most of the time. I worked in executive search, like a head head headhunter, if you you know that. Yeah. Um, I did that in the banking industry, and that was my second half of my time in Los Angeles. After that, I traveled by uh, boat, rowboat, and I I rode from Saint John, New Brunswick, Canada, down to Bar Harbor, Maine, in a rowboat. How long did that take? I, oof, I can't remember actually. I don't. I don't remember. It took a while. I It guess. took a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was an interesting experience. Okay. Anyway, after that, we the we were supposed to row all the way down to New Jersey. So we got about halfway to where we wanted to get, but for various reasons, we stopped. So then I bicycled to New Jersey from from there, and um, on the way, I <clears throat> stopped in Connecticut. And uh, saw a friend, stayed in Connecticut, took a job working in a restaurant. I was a waiter, a bartender. Uh, I began working seven days a week. I started um, saving up money to buy a sailboat. I took sailing lessons, and my plan was to sail away to a deserted island and disappear from the world. Wow. These ideas actually began when I was in Los Angeles. Mm. Because life was pretty painful and uh, it was very difficult to be with people because when I was with people, I recognized my emptiness Mm. and my inability to connect and communicate. Uh, So actually, while I was in Los Angeles, I began researching sort of getting on some sort of freighter and just working my way to the Southern Hemisphere and disappearing. Okay. That didn't happen. So then I began pursuing that in Connecticut and I earned about half the money I needed to uh, buy a sailboat, I thought, while I was in Connecticut. And then through some circumstances, I moved down to South Florida to a wealthy community uh, in Naples, Florida. And within four months, I was going to earn the rest of the money I needed to get my sailboat and sail away. And, uh, and Naples happened to be on the water, so I could just sail from there. Um, but shortly into my time at this one restaurant, my time down in Naples, I, I joined a cult. Okay. And so I didn't get to sail away.
1: How did that happen? What What is the attraction of, for, you know, for you, and I don't know if that would be consistent with anyone that gets involved with a, with a cult, but what was the attraction? What drew you into that?
0: Desperation.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, by the time I, other cults had, I encountered other cultic groups before Mm -hmm. when I was in Los Angeles in particular. And I wouldn't have known they were cults because I didn't know anything. Again, I I really can't take credit for much clear thinking. Uh, But I was desperate. I was afraid to be with people because Mm -hmm. of how painful that was. I was also afraid to die because I believed if I died, I would go somewhere. And I didn't know where that was. So I was in essence afraid to live mm. because living meant being with people and I was afraid to die because okay. dying meant going somewhere that was unknown to me.
1: So w- what was, what did the cult, as far as your perception, what did it offer you that, that, that you know, made you feel like this was maybe an answer to the, you know, the the, the fear that you were, you were experiencing living mm-hmm. or dying?
0: Yeah. Just keep this in on the surface level mm-hmm. it's not like there was depth of thought to any of this but uh, when I met these guys in the cult they were actually sitting in the living room of the house I was moving into in Naples um, so as I was moving in they were sitting there mm. and so I, I my opening line to them when I saw them was uh, where are you headed I mean they were unusual looking guys and they were sitting in my living room as well and I hadn't brought them in the house <laughs> So <clears throat> I said, Where are you headed? And one of the guys said, To heaven. Do you wanna hear about it? Yeah, I do. So I I did. And uh so that was about eleven thirty one night and by three o'clock the next morning, like three and a half hours later, I was uh living their lifestyle. Okay. Yeah, I gave away all of my possessions to the roommate I had and a roommate I was going to have. I was just moving in. Um, Gave him all my possessions and took a a martial arts outfit I had, sewed it into a white robe and was in the wind.
1: Wow. Okay. So that all happened in Naples. Mm -hmm. Okay. So where'd you go with this?
0: With them? Yeah. Because we left the house that day. It took me to... um, throughout south florida through louisiana mm. uh, to texas and i uh, mentioned Morris to somebody the, oh really the other day and i was in Morris during this time in mexico and then back out of mexico to texas again and then my parents eventually hired i they eventually reconnected with me or i reconnected with them because i'm you know I'm, there's no way of finding me right but i reconnected with my parents and they had already prepared, uh, if they ever heard from me again, which they didn't know, um, But be- because they, they had been in, been in touch with the Citizen Freed- Citizens Freedom Foundation and the American Freedom Foundation, which are organizations that um, try to educate people regarding cults and help people get out of cults. My parents had connected with some people on that. And so when I eventually did call them, my parents already had a team of what's called programmers ready mm-hmm. to come and capture me and deprogram me.
1: Okay. Yeah. And what did did you have a position in this cult? Did you? What did you? you know, what What was a day like? What did you do? We were in the wind. What okay. that
0: means is, as the wind blew, we went. Okay. So we we were uh, basically, if I were to think about it, it's it was a, a bunch of hippies who didn't want to get back into the society. Okay. Basically, so that's what we were—you know, long hair, beards, barefoot, white robes, just walking, wow. hitchhiking, just walking wherever we went. And if people gave us food or housing or a ride, we would take it all. And but our whole intention was to present the gospel to them.
1: Okay, all right.
0: Um, our, our version.
1: Of I yeah right yeah need to clarify that yeah okay so your your parents had had a plan. And did they ever get a chance to activate that? Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Hmm.
0: (laughs) Okay. I was in Brownsville, Texas, and uh, I called my parents. And, you know, in telling you how this happened, it'll help you understand the group and the mindset or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was in Brownsville. We were staying in a house and... I went to a gas station and used a, a payphone. Some of the listeners yeah. know what a payphone is. <laughs> uh, and I used a payphone and called my parents and said... Uh, I don't know what I said. But we talked and my parents said, we want to come down and see you. They were up in New Jersey. I was in Brownsville, Texas. They say we want to come down and see you. No, I was in Far, Texas. Okay. P H A R R. I was in Far, Texas. And they said we want to come see you i said okay i don't know if i'll be here but you can come and they said well we don't want to come if you're not there i said well i can't tell you i'm going to be here i said this is the way it is i'm at a gas station when i hang up the phone if i step out when i step out of this gas station if a car pulls up and a man in the car says get in i'll get in because i'm in the wind wherever Mm -hmm. the wind blows i go okay so I can't tell you I'll be here, but you're welcome to come. So they did. They came the next day, and uh, I was still there. Mm. And they came to the house, and I got in their rental car, and uh, everything's got a story to it, Kelly. But uh, ultimately, they, got me to, uh, they brought me to a motel in Brownsville where there was a team of deprogrammers. Actually, one of the deprogrammers took over the car my father was driving we stopped on the side of the road and they made a quick change while I was sitting there with two guards sitting next to me. They all just, my father pulled over doors open, guys got in and we drove away. Wow. Yeah. So uh, they took me to a, a, now you're a,
1: telling this very calmly, which is pretty anybody that knows you. That's pretty much how you, you are, but I got to ask, was this an intense thing that's going on here? Or are you just going along for the ride?
0: Okay. Good question. Really to help people understand this group and me understand it as well. There was um, there were two key words in the group that you had to really get a handle on and those two words were don't think. Oh wow. Okay. Now, I felt like I was already a specialist in not think. <laughs> so, it should be the truth is you can't not think. Mm. But don't think. Okay, and I got reprimanded in the group if they saw me thinking. Wow. And I would say, I was thinking, brother, and yeah, I get yelled at. So don't think. Now, with the don't think my mentality comes the whatever mindset, not oh, whatever. Well, right? okay. I'm not a big fan of whatever now, but comes the whatever mindset. So whatever happens, well, whatever, whatever. So the, the way these guys got into the car and, you know, in essence, it's a kidnapping, um, but my parents are uh, in charge of it, in charge of what's happening. Um, um, when it when it occurred, I uh, I thought, well, whatever. Wow, whatever. These were these were very big men, <laughs> and the man driving the car wasn't my father now. And so I could tell all the stories and the parts to it, but it's just not that necessary to take that much time, I guess. Um, but I wasn't really affected emotionally because whatever whatever and it's good for these people because now they get to hear the gospel Mm. so it's good for them that they're doing this to me because they get to hear the gospel okay so where'd they take you took me to a motel in brownsville texas okay kept me there for four days and their goal was to get me out of my white robe to put on clothing like we're wearing now um and after four days, and they're trying to convince me that the man I believe in isn't Jesus Christ, because okay. he said he was. Not oh, that wow! I, I never met him actually, but he said he was Jesus. Christ. Okay. So um, after four days, I said, "Okay, all right, I'll uh, do whatever you want." Oh wow! But they hadn't; nothing had changed inside of me. Okay. In fact, I was worse off mm. because I was already empty, and I was already uh, controlled by fear. But then I'd given everything I was to the cult, as best I knew how, and now they've sucked that out from the inside. So I, there wasn't much left of me. Wow. Yeah. And then I went to a, a cult rehabilitation center in Iowa City, Iowa, and stayed there for two weeks. And then they were bringing in another, I'm Jewish, right? So they were bringing in a, another Jewish guy that they'd gotten out of a different cult. Actually, I don't think it was a cult, but I didn't know that at the time. And they brought him in, and they asked me if I could stay to help him for his two weeks. They thought I had it together, I guess. Mm. I don't know. And so I did. So I ended up staying a month there. Yeah. And then I went back, and my parents were still in New Jersey, and I stayed with them for the summer. And I was going to try to disappear again Uh, at the end of the summer. I took a job, and uh, at the end of the summer, I was going to. Go cross-country, get on a boat in California and disappear. That was my second time to try to disappear.
1: Okay. So really, you were just kind of going along with everything. Nothing had really changed. Your thinking had not changed. No. And your thoughts were not to go back to the cult. It was, again, to get your boat and just
0: disappear. Well, yes, ultimately. Yeah. I don't know that I was thinking about that at the time when I said, okay, I'll put on a collared shirt or whatever they wanted a t-shirt shoes. I don't know that I was thinking about that at at the time. I just, whatever. Okay. I'll do what you want me to do. Mm. Okay. So I did. Yeah. So after the, uh, the time in the the summer with my parents, um, working the job I worked, it was very difficult to be with my parents, not because of them, because of me, Mm. it was just a painful time for all of us. Um, the Cult Rehab Center invited me to come and work as a counselor. Really? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I was such, I was so bad. I wow. was such bad news. Wow. I, had, I was in such desperate dire straits, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. I must have been able to, Kelly, I must have been able to make people think I had it together. Okay. Because I. I didn't have it together, and I didn't try to make people think I did that I'm aware of, but I guess I must have done that. So did you go back to Iowa? I went and worked at the rehab center. Wow. Now, if you've ever worked in an environment like that, medical or or mental health, you have to journal or record what your clients or patients went through that that shift. So I'd sit down, and I'd have to write about all the clients we had, and I had nothing to say because I was sicker than they were. Mm and every day I'd have to go through that, and it was just really difficult, really wow. painful. Wow. Until the end of four months. No, uh, I don't remember now how long it was. A little less than a year. Yeah, a little less than a year. I um, I said, okay, I just have to leave. I have to go. I can't. This is too difficult, too mm-hmm. painful. Mm-hmm. Every time, Every day is pain, and it just got worse. Every wow. day was worse wow. in my life. And... Um, so I was going to leave, and I was standing at the bus station in Iowa City, Iowa, at the bus station, with money to buy a bus ticket. And I'm trying to decide, am I going to get my bus ticket to, to California to, on the boat, find a boat, or am I going to go to Florida to say goodbye to my parents? Oh. <clears throat> right? And to my family. Because my parents had now moved to Florida. Okay. So I'll go to Florida to say goodbye to my parents go to the East Coast, say goodbye to my family. Should I say goodbye or should I just go Mm. and disappear and never be heard of again? And I was standing at the bus counter in Iowa City with the the ticket salesman looking at me just like you are, just right across, waiting for me to decide, am I going east or am I going west? And so I said, uh, okay, I'll take a ticket to Florida. So I went east. A lot of things happened on the way, and ultimately down in South Florida, um, I made it to my parents eventually. A lot happened between the two times, times—the buying the ticket and finally getting to my parents, but I did get there. And um, my mother looked at me one day, and she said, Wayne, if you have to go to an island, does it have to be so far away? We have islands here in Florida. It was just a mother's heart, really. Yeah. So they actually drove me to Key West oh, from, wow. from West Palm Beach yeah. and we made our way back from Key West and, and anything that looked like an island where I might be able to live, we stopped to see if we could find somebody we could talk to about the island to see if I could hermitize there, Yeah, closer to my parents. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, it didn't work. <laughs> so I left, said goodbye, never going to see me again and I'm sorry. I don't know what to say beyond that. Mm. Uh, on my way up to New Jersey to say goodbye to two of my sisters and then to Buffalo, New York, to say goodbye to my third sister uh, in South Carolina, Pauly's Island, South Carolina, I found myself just one night. you know, And I'd been sleeping outside, being homeless, on and off for about three years and um, working here and there, working at the rehab center. And so this one Friday evening, it was raining, and I was in South Carolina, Pauly's Island, and I didn't want to sleep outside. And while I was in the cult, I'd learned that you can live off of a church, mm. right? Oh, okay. Just go. They usually have food pantries or whatever they called it. I didn't really even know what a church was yet. Remember, I'm, I grew up in a synagogue, right. not in a church. I didn't know. And uh, but, but I knew I, I could live off of them because I learned that. So I asked somebody— who was near me where a church was and there are again many parts to this story but bottom line I went to a church called Paulie's Paulies Island Baptist Church and there was a I walked in the door and I was a very strange looking person now Kelly you may think I'm strange looking now but I was really strange looking then (laughs) (laughs) and uh, um, you know you would think not that I knew what Uh, it was a Southern Baptist, Southern church, probably a little more conservative than the way I looked. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and ultimately just burst into the pastor's office. I wasn't trying to. It's just what happened. And we met each other in that way where you just kind of, you're face to face without planning it. Oh, here you are. Yeah, That's how we met. Wow. And he looked at me. He looked in my eyes, he didn't look at my appearance. He didn't do an up and down on my body or wow. I was very strange looking, my clothes were weird, everything about me was weird, I was wet visually, I was weird. He didn't he looked in my eyes. Mm. It really impacted me. Anyway, he interviewed me for two hours because he believed that I was gonna ask for something and he wanted to know me before he uh before he could make his decision. Okay. So he didn't let me ask what, I, what he thought I wanted. Uh-huh. He just interviewed me for two hours. Wow. Uh, he thought I was going to ask for money, which I wasn't, but that's what he thought. He needed my character before he could answer that question. Mm-hmm. So he interviewed me for two hours, this man. The first 10 minutes of the interview, he told me about a Bible school in the mountains of Estes Park overlooking a glacier lake. Really? Never mentioned it again just in the first 10 minutes. I didn't even know, I didn't know what a Bible school was. I didn't know what the Bible was. Oh, okay. And He never mentioned it again. Other than he said at that time, his sister and brother-in-law direct the school.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
0: So I stay, I was going to spend the night at the end of the two hours. He said, what do you, what would you like? I said, place to sleep and maybe dinner. He said, you can stay back in this room and dinners in 20 minutes upstairs. So I stayed a week. That was a Friday evening Following Wednesday, I wandered out to the Atlantic Ocean. This man, his name is Bob. Bob, can I say names? Sure, go ahead. I can? Yeah. Last names even? Yeah, go right ahead. Bob Barrows. Okay. And uh, he um, he gave me so much time. He didn't Mm. have time. Mm. Young father leading a church, he gave me so much time. I can't remember anything we talked about. Even then I couldn't. I didn't need the words. I guess it was just the Lord at work. Mm. I didn't know that. That was a Friday night I arrived. The following Wednesday, I wandered out into the Atlantic Ocean, threw my hands up in the air and said, okay. Oh, wow. And that's how I came to faith. Wow. Wow. Now I was alive mm. and I knew it and God made it very clear right away. And then repeatedly over the next few days, mm. you're now alive. Mm. You've found the truth. Wow. And so without I can fill in the details, more details, but just something I want to tell the people who may be listening is that um, from that moment when I knew that I'd found the truth, um, I've not turned back. I've not looked back Mm. I've not hesitated back. Mm. And the only reason I say that is because I want people to know it's possible. Mm. I mean, I've been in torchbearers a long time. I was. I still am, really. We're sitting at a Torchbearer Center doing this. So um, I've seen people who turn back. Mm. How how old were you at this time? 27. 27. We don't need to turn back. Mm. If you stay in Christ, it's just always forward in Him. Mm. And by God's grace, that's what's happened for me. So anyway, I continued on up, saw my sisters, and didn't say goodbye. I don't know what I was saying, but I didn't say goodbye. (laughs) Anyway, uh, when Bob, in that first 10 minutes, told me about this Bible school, he said, Estes Park, Colorado, overlooking a Glacier Lake. If you're ever in Boulder, you're near Estes Park. I didn't know Boulder. I had no intention of being in Boulder. Two weeks later, I was sitting in Boulder, Colorado, under no control of my own. I didn't have a car. I wasn't organizing my travel. Sitting in Boulder, somebody put a map in front of me to Ask well, should we go this way or that way? And when I opened the map, my eyes went straight to Estes Park. Okay,
1: yeah.
0: Estes Park does not have big print on <laughs> My eyes went straight to Estes Park. I said, Estes Park, I'm in Boulder. Bob, Bible mm-hmm. School. I was two weeks old in Christ. Mm-hmm. I went to another payphone. <laughs> called Bob. I said, Bob, what do I what, what do? I do? He said, "Well, I don't really know where the Bible school is. I've been there once. Just make your way to Estes Park and find the school." So I did. Walked in uh, June third, nineteen eighty-three, and left May thirty-first, two thousand and eleven.
1: <laughs> so you you were going you weren't sure what you were going for, but you ended up being a student, right? No, no,
0: no. I I arrived on the first day of the first upward bound program for Ravencrest. Okay, upward bound being outdoor leadership training with Christ as the center yeah. of it all. I arrived the first day of the first one.
1: I think your roommate was a friend of mine, John. Yeah, John, that I had grown I up. I just with. heard from him. by Oh, the way. did you? I did. Oh, great. Yeah. <clears throat> so now, th- tell us a little bit. Now I remember you telling one time just what your appearance was like when you showed up at Ravencrest.
0: No, my appearance at, when I showed up at Ravencrest was, it wasn't normal per se, but it wasn't like when I showed up at the church in
1: South okay. Carolina. Okay, so that had all, that it all Carolina, changed. Okay,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, when I showed up at Ravencrest, I still was strange looking, but not like I was. Because okay. I was wearing clothes I made, and I don't know how to make clothes. Okay,
1: so, so you... <laughs> really? It's true. Okay, so you showed up uh, not really knowing what you were going to do there. So what did you end up doing at Ravencrest?
0: I stayed a day at a time for six weeks. Okay. For six weeks of the program. A few, a couple of weeks, it was for three or four days because we went out camping. Be, I joined the Upward Bound program. Mm. Not that I'd planned that. I didn't know what I was walking into when I walked into it. Right. But I was two weeks old in Christ, and Bob had told me about this place. So I just went to it.
1: Okay. Good. Mm. Um, okay, so now you're at Ravencrest. You were there for decades. <laughs> What, um, you know, what did the Lord do in your heart while you were there?
0: Anything he wanted. Mm. I, I just didn't want to obstruct.
1: Okay. Yeah. Now, you met Patty while you were there. I did. Yeah. Tell us about that. How did you meet?
0: Well, Patty came as a student in uh, 1985. So I was on staff, started in 83. I eventually joined staff, obviously, is what happened. And uh, that was in 83. In August of 85, Patty Walsh came into the office at Ravencrest, um, so eager to come to Bible school in September, and um, you know, she was, she'd been a nurse for nine years, and mm-hmm. she was just wanting to get some Bible education and go serve somewhere in a needy part of the world, and she walked into the office. Now, having been there a couple of years, uh, I'd, I'd made a decision in my own life it wasn't a staff policy, but I had a decision in my own life that I would not get involved with any of the girls' students. I would keep my distance from the girls' students. Okay. Um, not that they'd be interested in <laughs> being near me, but I, that was my decision. And uh, Patty walked into the office, and the secretary at the time was Kristen, and she jumped up from her chair because she knew Patty was coming just to see the school a month early and she was excited because Kristen is just excited lovely and she greeted Patty said Patty and then brought Patty and I looked up and I saw Patty when Kristen did that and I was I was immediately uh, taken okay just by looking at her and I then said remember your policy Wayne I said that to myself Remember your policy. You're not getting involved with the students. No girls. So I kept to my policy while she was a student. Really?
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, then how did you get together?
0: That's a good question. So, you know, she eventually wasn't a student anymore. (laughs) 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 And then I went and pursued. Okay.
1: What year did you get married?
0: 1987.
1: 1987. And then you came actually here for your honeymoon.
0: Yes, we did. Yeah. and and Yes, we did. Um, Almost exactly to the day, 35 years ago. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's great.
0: Yeah. For part of our honeymoon, yeah, we came here because, uh, so, you know, Sonny. Yeah. You know, so Sonny Westbrook used to come to the Chalet and teach, and uh, he knew we were getting married. I'd already talked to Sonny. Sonny was a help for me through the Mm. whole process of Mm. understanding what it is to care for a woman and to in Christ Mm. come to know a woman and he was a big help. And so then he, um,
1: yeah, I should just say for those that don't know who Sonny is, Sonny was the director here at his Hill at, and in the early eighties and he was actually the director when I was a student. So he, you met him as a guest lecturer at Ravencrest. Right. Right. And he was
0: director. And he said, uh, it's interesting. I was talking about this house today with, uh, somebody, um, probably because it's on my mind it's 35 year anniversary of it all but Sonny came to the chalet knew we were engaged asked me what we're going to do for our honeymoon I said well I'm thinking Sonny will go on a three-week bicycle trip through Mexico
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can see Sonny's I can't see the wheels turning
0: (laughs) you know he's very kind yes very always very kind and he looked at me and he said, so, uh, Wayne, is there any stress on a bicycle trip? I said, oh, yeah, honey, there can be a lot of stress. You know, where are you going to sleep? Where are you going to get food? You know, it's cold weather. It's raining. He said, you don't want any stress on your honeymoon. <laughs> he said, come to the hill. We've got a place called Casa Roca, and you and Patty can just stay up there.
1: That's great.
0: So we did. And that was the first part. We took a three-week honeymoon and that was the first part of it.
1: Okay, Great. And, uh, that was in 1987. Uh, since then you guys have had four children. Mm -hmm. Uh, how many grandchildren do you have? 11. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, (coughs) just, you know, what's it been like, what's it been like being a parent, being a grandparent, being on staff, raising a family?
0: No, it's been the glory of God. Mm. It's been fantastic. Mm. Um, being, I mean, being a parent and grandparent, I have told my children and now grandchildren more than one time at different times, My love, I love them more than my words can express it. Mm. And so that's the same how I feel the whole experience. I can't really express the, uh, the joy, the, the gift, the glory of it all. I can't mm. express it.
1: Mm. Yeah. Okay, and uh, now Joseph I, I know well. We we've spent good time together. He's uh, he's on staff at Timberline, mm-hmm. and uh, so we've had a relationship. Be we've been able to develop a relationship. Uh, he has a family there, mm-hmm. and uh, he's uh, he's uh, what what is his title there?
0: Operations manager.
1: Okay, the operator He used to be the principal, now operations manager, and mm-hmm. so he does some teaching there. But he's he's one of the administrators and mm-hmm. uh, very very godly young man and just a precious family. Uh, uh, Now, just fill us in. What what are the other kids doing?
0: Rachel, our eldest, I don't know exactly what she's doing, but it's perfect Mm. because she went to heaven in uh, 2016, Mm. July 4th.
1: Um, And she was married and she was a mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she had
0: three baby girls mm-hmm. before she
1: left. You know, if you don't mind, let's pause here for just a second, uh, because I know that we do have people who listen to the podcast who have lost their children. And for anybody else who was who may be listening and has, to, has, has had to go through that or maybe is going through that, what's something the Lord has worked in your heart that you could share, feel comfortable sharing, to be an encouragement in something like that?
0: Yeah, I'm, there are a number of things I that come to my mind. If I could take a few minutes. Oh, right ahead. Yeah. Well, one is probably something that most parents would understand is, and that is Rachel was never my mm. mine anyway. Mm. I had the Patty and I had the joy of caring for her, but we didn't. God used us to create her. Mm. He's the creator. Mm. So she was his. Mm. What is it you want with her, Lord, is always the question. She was born prematurely, and we might not have been able to ever have her. She was in crisis. But we did get her. We mm. got her for 28 years. And so we, we released her probably as soon as she was born, really, because she was in crisis. Um, but she's—none of our children are ours. They're entrusted to us. Uh, And we care for God's child, Mm. is what we do. Rachel is my daughter, was my daughter on earth for as long as she was on earth. She's not on earth anymore. So the role has changed. Mm. She's still alive. In fact, Patty and I had a conversation a few months ago, and we said, and we both, we found ourselves, we didn't, when we, instead of saying when Rachel died, we said when Rachel lived. Mm. Because really, when you get rid of this body of death, you're living fully in the presence of right. God. That's yeah. really living.
1: Yeah.
0: We're not constrained by this body of death. But we can't go and tell people on July 4th, 19, uh, July 4th 2016, Rachel lived, because mm-hmm. that wouldn't make sense to right. people. I right. can't say it, but we know that's true. We know that's a reality. And then something else that has really... I mean, my life's been changed, and my mm-hmm. thoughts have been changed, my awareness of things uh, the way i approach this life has changed significantly since i had i said farewell to my daughter and something that's been very strong is came from a funeral that i was asked to lead maybe a year and a half later mm. i don't remember how much later maybe a year and a half i know it was in september the next year i think and he was a he was a father of four, young father of four, 42 years old And he had a a burst, a spontaneous burst brain aneurysm, Mm. gone, Mm. gone. Took his children to school in the morning, was dead that afternoon. Healthy guy, strong as a bull. And um, he was gone. And our families were close. And uh, his widow asked me to officiate. And I began thinking about what I would say. And during the ceremony, uh, Randy was... Uh, The man who went to heaven was involved in the music industry, the Christian music industry mostly. And a a Christian artist was there mourning (laughs) and he talked about um, heaven and and he talked about what John saw in heaven from Revelation. Okay. And then I I thought about it and this is very strong in my mind that there are four ways biblically to get to heaven that I've seen. Of course, this is going being published now so i can people can correct me from all around the world now i see four ways to get to heaven biblically one way is the way that um enoch and elijah went okay right straight up no death a second way is the way isaiah and paul and john went they had temporary visitation right In order to record things that God wanted us to know, but they came back, right? But they went to heaven that way. A third way, this is my eschatology, is and my theology. A third way is through the rapture. Okay, right. That's the third way to get to heaven when God takes us to heaven, His church. And the fourth way is is death of these bodies. Those are the four ways I see to get to heaven. Okay, right. Well, I I want to go to heaven. from unless the rapture occurs, I, d- I'm, I doubt I'm going to go the other two ways, the way Enoch went and the way Elijah went and and the way Isaiah went for the temporary visit. I doubt I'm going to go that way, could. I expect I'm going to die physically. Okay. Uh, the goal of, the result of that is I, I go to heaven. And hmm. uh, what's wrong with that? Right. So... Uh, that didn't actually come from Rachel, my daughter, but my mind was very, you know, I think about her daily and think about life and death issues daily now, but it came from that funeral of, of Randy because mm-hmm. instant death for him, totally unexpected, but that's how God chose to take Randy to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yes. Difficult for his wife and four children who remained, but, um, uh, that's how we got to heaven.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that because I, I do, uh, it's been my observation, you know, experientially, but also watching others that we don't, we we don't, you know, there, there's an expression says that we're, you know, we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Well, I, I've kind of changed my thinking on that. I don't think we're any earthly good unless we're heavenly minded. You know, uh, you know, it's, you know, this is this is our temporary home. Scripture's clear about that. Mm-hmm. We're not citizens here. Our citizenship is in heaven, mm-hmm. as if we're believers. Mm-hmm. And I think we should be encouraging one another to be thinking this way. And I wonder, you know, if, if we're not, you know, the, 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 the underlying theme or the, re, the repeated theme for the podcast has been to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and you know he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father, and you know I, I, we need to encourage one another. I think the Book of Hebrews even does that. It encourage it tells us he tells us to encourage one another daily, to be thinking like this. You know, and I wonder if we're not. I, I'm convinced that if we're fixed on Jesus, and we are heavenly minded, then there's there's really no room to be controlled by fear here now and from the correspondence that I'm receiving from alumni and others that listen to the podcast is this is something we need to be reminding each other of you know things that are going on in the world right now the last couple of years has you know it's it's brought to surface you know within the church a lot of fear and I I feel like that's that's what's happening the fear is a reality because we're not fixed on jesus we're not heavenly minded and so i appreciate you you know being open about that talking about these things that uh we we do you know this this our home is not here and we we need to remember that we need to we need to remind each other of that um but i I do appreciate you you know being willing to let us go there um, but what about uh what about the other two kids? What are they up
0: to? Celia is married to Darius, they live in Fort Collins, Colorado. They have uh, three children and um, just serving the Lord yeah. Darius works, and Celia cares for the children. Avi married Sadie back in uh, November okay. So two two and a half months married now. And uh, Avi works in marketing. Darius works in marketing. Avi works in marketing mm-hmm. as well.
1: That's yeah. great. So all the kids are believers. Yeah. They're all walking with the Lord. And that's yeah. that's really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, now you ended up leaving Ravencrest. What year? Two thousand and eleven. Two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. And so what's going on now? What are you What are you involved in?
0: All right. Well, when uh, I've um, I've never really appreciated the statement too earthly, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. So I understand what you're saying. And then you went you went on to talk about citizenship, and I definitely see my primary citizenship as heaven. Um, you know, Earth is America. You know, that's secondary mm. citizenship. Uh, <clears throat> it's real, but it's secondary. Right. So back then, when I was a boy, 14 years old, being so Jewish, I didn't really know what, I didn't know much about Israel, but I knew I was connected to it somehow. But I couldn't tell you how. Okay. I didn't understand it. And then I began to understand it once I came to Christ, what it was to be a Jew and what it was to be Israel. And then when Patty and I had been married, Rachel was maybe a year, nine months, a year old, we started investigating moving to Israel because as a Jew... You need one Jewish grandparent, you can claim citizenship to the country. That's why modern Israel exists. Oh, wow, okay. Modern Israel exists, so the Jews who've been scattered um, since AD 70, Mm. more or less, Uh, so the Jews who've been scattered can come back to the land. You see, a Jew, Israel is a nation, doesn't matter where you're born, you're, you're of the nation of Israel. Okay. It's a nation, has a land, Um, but now (laughs) again, but for Israel, that, the the land is part of the identity and definition, but it didn't matter if you're born in, in Brazil, um, Spain or, um, Texas, if you're Jewish, Israel is your homeland. And the government knew that back Mm -hmm. in 1948 and said, if you have one Jewish grandparent, one Jewish grandparent, you can come home and three week process. And you're a citizen. Wow, three weeks. I have four Jewish grandparents. That's uh, plenty. <laughs> um, so, when uh, when Rachel was a, a little one, we investigated moving to Israel. Okay. But apparently, it wasn't the Lord's time, so we stayed at the chalet for about another twenty five years, and. Our last five years in earnest, we were thinking, when will we go to Israel? Well, I knew we could go to Israel when the Lord released us from Ravencrest. When was the Lord going to release us from Ravencrest? That we didn't know. And it was up to him. But I would tell Patty, when he releases us, I'll know. Mm -hmm. And I did. It was very clear. So the day he released us is the day I resigned from Ravencrest, from from Torchbearers International, from... Whatever other boards I was on, uh, that day, I resigned because we were now released to move to Israel. Okay. And um, <clears throat> um, but the sh- the board of Ravencrest uh, asked kindly for us to stay and finish the one more school year, which was just worked really well. we moved to Israel after that. We went and applied for citizenship to Israel. Three weeks later, we went. To, we moved to Israel. We. Got rid of almost everything we owned. Well, wow. almost every possession we just gave away. We moved to Israel in December of 2011. Submitted our application for citizenship with um, nine documents to evidence my Jewishness. And uh, three weeks later, we went back to the office of Ministry Interior and uh, to see if we'd been granted citizenship to get claim citizenship. And they said, "No, you've been denied." Oh, wow. So that's, that's it. So on the heels of that, though, that same—we we walked from that office and sat on some stairs outside the office. And Patty, for some reason, just looked at me and said, Well, maybe, maybe the Lord wants to just send you around the world and teach as a Jew. I wasn't doing that. That wasn't part of my life. I'd done a little That's exactly what happened. Mm. So until the world closed down a couple of years ago, I was spending about 75% of my time traveling various parts of the world teaching the Bible. I would never emphasize or or, uh, 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 push the Jewishness, but the truth is, Kelly, wherever I went, without me telling people I was Jewish, they would tell me I'm Jewish. Really? Yeah. So the lord continues to use it it's not my agenda it's his i mean even my jewishness is my earthly citizenship right i'm not sure what that'll look like in the heavenly kingdom Mm. Uh, i'll find out some eternal day um so i've i traveled and i taught the scriptures so people would know the living savior Teach the scriptures in their context and in truth Mm. so people would know christ that Christ is alive. So that's what we did. So what I did, the world shut down. So I don't do it as much as I did. Um, and I stay in the States and torchbear centers in the States kindly invite me to come. So I'm here. Great. Now. That's great. And that's what I've been doing.
1: And you've, you've been here twice this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a, a, a benefit for us. Um, so in, in closing uh, this, this episode, you know we have not only alumni from his hill that listen to the podcast but we have alumni from other centers that are listening as well as people who really have never had anything to do with torchbearers but um, i'm thinking right now those who have been a part of torchbearers they've been students maybe they've been on staff and they're 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 no longer there they're they're doing something else And I'm just wondering if you have any words of encouragement to them, because the the reason I ask that, and and you'll understand this, that when you've been a part of a torchbearer center, when you've been a part of the the fellowship of torchbearers, it's a very intense thing. Uh, you know, there's you know, the, the the centers. You know, like like Ravencrest, his hill. We have very similar programs with Bible school. You're with, you know, the student body and the staff are together for nine months. It's 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 a discipleship program as well. And, you know, we're all living in the, on the same property. We're in, you know, the students are in our homes and we get to know them really well. Um, when you leave that kind of atmosphere. Uh, what, what we have found is that it, it can be a very difficult transition for students, but also for staff. And so having gone through all of that yourself, you know, being, being at Ravencrest for all those years and then leaving, what, what would you have to say as way of encouragement uh, to those who are experiencing the same thing?
0: This morning for staff meeting, I was uh, privileged to be able to lead the staff in a devotion. And um, part of the devotion was just addressing the idea that our physical, our identity, our circumstances on earth do not, um, um, should not obstruct our relationships in Christ. Hmm. Because we're one in Christ because of his spirit in us, regardless of our social status our athletic abilities our appearances our um, interests choices even in context in context with first corinthians 7 even whether whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised whether you're slave or you're free Mm -hmm. none of that is to dictate or interrupt the unity we have in christ because all of that is earthly and the unity we have in christ is heavenly Spiritual. It comes mm. from the Spirit of God. So, having left Ravencrest, Patty and I, even though life has, you know, Patty and I have not once questioned the path we've taken, even though we didn't get citizenship. We still might, you know. Well, we know we'd be citizens if God really wanted us to be citizens. We just knew He wanted us to move there, and we did. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, um, to to make anything the priority other than Christ and what he is doing in you and through you will distract you from him, distract mm. you from his purposes, distract you from his glory. Mm. Your agenda in truth and in essence doesn't matter. Mm. Let it evaporate. Mm. It doesn't mean you don't make choices. You have to decide what school to go to. You have to decide if you're going to accept that job. Right. Okay, I understand all of that. We have to make those decisions, but they are... They're they're only vehicles for God to use for his glory. Mm. They're only vehicles. So if you look at them as yours, it's just like my child. If I look at her as my child, I'm going to hold on pretty tightly. Mm. Mm. If, if you look at that car that is now wrecked, if you look at that job that you've now lost, if you look at that, that stock that just took a dive as yours, then you're going to make decisions based on those particular circumstances and events. And that's not to dictate life. They're never to. Those are vehicles. And if God chooses to wreck the vehicle, not that I'd blame him for a car accident, but if the vehicle gets wrecked, let God use it.
1: Mm.
0: What what else is there to do? That's the only thing to do. We're here for eternal purposes. We're not here for temporal purposes. Mm. Okay.
1: Well, thanks, Wayne. Thanks for the uh, thank you for the time uh, for being so open and uh, and and I appreciate you know ending with you know that 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 same reminder that we need to be we need to be fixed on Jesus. We need to understand that this life is this life we're living is not about us. It's all about Him. He simply allows us to live in who it's all about, mm-hmm. and we we need to be taken with Him. So thank you, Wayne. I really appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you. I know you weren't real crazy about doing this, but you were willing to do it. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm very thankful that you did. Mm-hmm. So uh, Wayne, uh, uh, we're going to we're gonna take a break, and then uh, you're going to uh, record the devotion. And again, just for the listeners to know that we will be posting that next week. So uh, if, Wayne, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that?
0: probably my email would okay. be the best way Weissman at gmail.com wayne is w-a-y-n-e dot w-e-i-s-s-m-a-n at gmail.com
1: okay well thank you thank you again for being here and uh look forward to what you have to say in the devotion next thanks kelly thank you for tuning into the his hill podcast you've been listening to our host Kelly Doherty, and one of our beloved guest speakers, Wayne Wiseman. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Wayne this week and that his testimony was an encouragement to you and your walk with the Lord. If you would like to get in touch with Kelly, you can contact him by email at kelly at hishill.org. You can also keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook for more Bible School updates. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ alumni. I'm Lizzie. See you next week.